Good morning. Shall we pray? Dear Father, we give you thanks for life this morning, and we pray that as we speak forth words for your glorification and for the edification of those here, we ask that you make your Holy Spirit lead. Through Christ, we pray. Amen. The blessed gospel is for all, the gospel is for all. Where sin has gone, must go his grace. The gospel is for all. I grew up singing that song, particularly in tent meetings during crusade season on the islands. And as we sang those songs, I had no idea what the words meant as a young man aged 10, 11, 12, uh, I had no emotional or experiential connection to the idea of the gospel being for all. But as I grew older and battled more and more with sin, the, boss, the gospel became clearer <clears throat> to me. When I was faced with the challenge of getting my flesh in subjection, I understood that that was a task I was not going to accomplish by myself. And so my frailty as a human being became more apparent. And as it became more apparent, the gospel was needed to take me to the places where I would encounter grace, second chances, and worth not tied to people and things, or guilt tied to past mistakes, but grace only given by God because the gospel, yes, is for all. But for the past few decades, there has been an intellectual and also an ecclesiastical attempt to change the gospel, to commercialize it, to tarnish its sacred nature. And while looking at this documentary recently on Netflix called the American Gospel, I found out, I was privy to the fact, the ideas that as time rolls on, especially in modern countries, highly developed countries, people are seeking to preach other Gospels where religion and the pursuit of God has been watered down to anecdotes of blessings and cursings. Yes, we approach God with a list of material wishes and need of only good feelings and blessing. It is some sort of a user-friendly gospel where the gospel actually gets redefined by people who want to use it. They want material blessing, they want safety, and also a dismissal overall of the theology of suffering. So we cultivate this gospel here in many spaces in America, and we export it to countries and continents. For example, in rural Africa, we have mothers who are told that if they are barren, they have been inflicted with some sort of a generational curse 
that they have to ask their preacher, their pastor, to walk them through and pray specific prayers to God so that could be curtailed. They are told also that if drought exists in their part of the country, that they could go to God like the prophets of the Old Testament and not ask but demand that he send rain. Because if you use the right anecdotes, God will reply, God will respond. That if they are poor, just sow some seeds in terms of finance, and God, who is bathing in abundance, will give you more than you could receive. What happens when the wombs don't open up and babies don't come? What happens when crops die because the press for rain do not bring any rain? And what happens when all the prayers and the petitions for riches do not come after so many years of sowing seeds? This belief in God, a rejection of the Creator, because they used a man-made gospel to corrupt the nature and the content of the good news. But this is not only in Africa and other continents. This happens here, the origin of those types of things, where we compartmentalize the gospel, where the effects of the gospel, the operation of the gospel is limited to maybe Sunday services and maybe a church function. And once that is over, then we get back to the things that we love, the things that are higher ideals in our lives. See, the problem with this approach is that it takes away from the true gospel that has no ties with God giving good things all the time. And it robs us of a context and purpose of suffering, making us doubt and question when suffering actually comes about. So if the gospel is not things from God and material, if the gospel is not petitions for the things that reside in our heart and mind that has no desire for God and for discipleship, what really is the gospel? John 3 and verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believe in him or believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We quote that. We read that. And sometimes, all too often, we miss it altogether. The revelation of a living God loving the hearts of dying men. The reality that we have sufficient help to conquer suffering and to be fully restored. The idea that God has revealed himself to be the creator of the world. Prepared in a body Christ walked in, a body that epitomized the tortured bodies of us, the restless minds of us, the betrayed hearts of us, and the resurrection that will be gifted to the obedient souls of us. Thus, if we have a working and living knowledge of what the gospel is, we would get choked up. We would stumble in our words 
to reply to the gospel because the gospel pursues me. The gospel is an opportunity to walk with God here and forever, and that sits well in a 60-year-old, an 80-year-old, a 40-year-old, a 15-year-old, because we don't always feel loved. We don't always feel valued. We don't always feel liked. We have things that we struggle with and struggle through. And so the gospel reminds us that God so loved the world, and the world here should be replaced with one and one and one and one and one and one and one. Personal appropriation. Not just everyone, but me. The idea that there was 99 saved, but he came for the one. That is the gospel. Jesus died, but Jesus died for me. Not just a general sweeping statement. It is highly personal. And sometimes we look at this phrase and it's so cliche. Let's have a personal relationship with God. But it is a person. The gospel is the person, the embodiment, the essence of God seeking and pursuing by loving. And as we look at our broken lives, we understand that if somebody has risked it all, to follow us and to pursue us and to receive us, even with what's wrong with us in the flesh. What kind of a love is that? That is the love of the gospel, and the motivation is preservation. It says, not willing that any should perish, but be preserved. Do you know what that means? Think about salt. What salt does to meat, often like canning jars, where things are preserved, not to be used now, but at a later date. And if you have lots of meat, then you need lots of salt, because the thing that is preserving needs to be in proportionate among to what it is be, that, that's been preserved. And so if Christ is preserving you, you need all, the full person of Christ, not a little bit here and a little bit there and a little bit everywhere, which is the American gospel. You know, you can have Christ on Sundays, just a little bit, but don't commit fully. Don't receive fully because once you receive fully, you are no longer in control, and that bothers people. We are preserved. We are preserved Unto the day, the eschaton, the last things, the closing up of this world, we are kept where eternal life begins here and now. Unto eternity in a spiritual realm with God. So if that's the gospel, that's really good news, right? But how do we obey the gospel? And you might think, that's a very basic answer. Everybody knows that, like the progressive lady. Everybody knows that, but really. So whenever we ask the question, how do you obey the gospel? Most people will say, hear, believe, repent, confess, and be baptized in that form, in that pattern. But that's the wrong answer. That's the wrong answer because it's not complete. It is part of the answer, and for many years we have been given part of the answer to substitute for the whole, as you might say, a select the key. We don't like things we can't control. We like to put things in a box. Jesus pursues me through the gospel, 
I cannot control that. Aside from what is written, I don't know what that looks like, and that borders me. Anything that I can't control borders me. And so I go on to look for forms and patterns. I mean, there are people. There are people who have shunned the process of regeneration, of transformation, of reformation that only Christ can do on a personal level with your heart. So yes, you are in Christ as the seed is in the soil, but without water and sunshine and the tending, the seed won't live to become a plant. So well done. You've obeyed, you've heard, believed, repented, confessed, been baptized. Well done. But this is only the beginning of the journey. And what we've done is we've substituted the beginning for the entire journey. So people are walking around and they are saying, well, I've done the thing, but they've never had an encounter with God, an interaction with God. They went searching for forms and patterns and the so-called five steps that is not inherently bad, but that's the problem. After the five steps, people stop stepping. They ask, what do I have to do? Tell me, tell me, tell me. Everything in life is a bargain. We sell things, we buy things. So Lord, tell me what I must do so that we could be all right, so that you could give me grace, so that I could be good with you to go back and do what I really want to do. Just tell me what I got to do. Not realizing that it's not about doing. It's about being. It's not about doing. It's about becoming. You see, when you open the door to the gospel, you invite God to come in and ruin your day so that he could make it better, much more than you could by yourself, tasting much sweeter than you've ever tasted. So the appropriate response to the gospel is give everything so that God would complete you. And I'm taken aback to this movie, Jerry Maguire, and Tom Hanks' character, Jerry, walks into the room, Renee Zellweger, his love interest, and he comes in after having gone through several moments of neglect. She has set him up for success. She has given him everything, put him in a position to win. And when he finally realizes that, he goes to her house. But at that point, it's filled with women who are disgruntled complaining about men and past relationships, and this guy deserves a medal of honor because he goes into that room and he does not pay attention to the murmurings. He doesn't look at the faces because he's fixated on this lady right here. And he's telling her how he loves her and this and that. And she says to him, you need to just shut up, man. Just shut up. You had me at hello. You already had me at Hello. I'm thinking, isn't that an appropriate example of humans with God and the gospel where people are talking, the world is distracting, but we are coming knowing that we've actually found grace, we've actually found real life and value in this, in this divine being, and we don't care who's watching, who's talking, who's looking, whatever they're saying, because we've seen the love of our souls going in fixated, on the love of our souls. 
The gospel has demands. This love that is all-encompassing and all-giving has demands. We learn to give all by receiving Christ fully. So your life for his. It is not a halfway exchange. It is your full life for his. Because the best we can get of our life is sin and death and wrestling in our flesh. Paul says, man, the things I want to do, I, I don't do. And the things that I don't want to do, that's what I keep on doing. I'm sold on the sin, recognizing that he is stiff in this body of death. He asks, who shall deliver me from this body of death? And the next phrase comes in sweepingly. I thank God through Christ. I thank God through Christ. I thank God through Christ. Not me, not my neighbor, not my president, not my pastor, but me and God walking that walk. So you can choose your life or the life that he gives you. He that loses his life will find it, and he that finds his life will lose it. We learn to tell what we have received, Christ fully. Receiving Christ fully gives us a testimony that we can turn around to save the world with. That's why the kingdom of God is here on earth through the church. What have we given as our testimony, though, if not the fullness of God in Christ? What have people seen, if not the fullness of God in Christ? This is prosperity, word of faith, name it and claim it nationalism, patriotism. The gospel demands that heaven be brought down on earth. So the disciples are asking, you know, Lord, you know, this and that question, how should we pray? And one of the first things that he tells them is, pray that as God's kingdom is in heaven, the reality comes through on earth. Well, that's a heavy point right here because it underscores that in heaven, in the realm of heaven, God takes care of his beings. They are preserved. There is providence. There is space for all his beings. There is protection. There is blessing. And he says, as it is in heaven, where there is space, where there is protection for people, there is a good news, a gospel that says, so let it begin on earth. Providence, space, protection. As it is in heaven, so let it be on earth. Churches read about the all-consuming and rearranging fire that was enveloped in the idea of God's kingdom on earth. They read it. They said, let's obey it. Let's have church. As it is in heaven, so let it be done on earth. The good news of God's providence and blessings for beings. Many remain silent. While the Indians from Florida marched to Oklahoma to the Trail of Tears, booted out by legislation, couldn't hunt and fish or grow crops on the land that God had created for all men. And as they marched, believe you me, there were churches gathered saying, as it is in heaven, so let it be on earth. Let's come together and worship God on this day as they marched. They read it. Let's praise God who demands it and gives us the spirit to accomplish it. 
as it is in heaven, so let it be on earth. However, earlier in this century, women could not vote. And preachers took to pulpits to say that all women are good for is making babies. And if they have to be teachers or lawyers, you know, or any other trades, that the fabric of society would be ruined and Christianity would cave in. If women use gifts, as it is in heaven, so let it be on earth. And you think about the Gospels and Lydia, the seller of purple, and people who are helping, and the women who are coming to the cross, and Adjusi's tomb, and they are involved in ministry, and they are involved in the life of the church, the narrative that is written, only for the church to say, well, you know, in society, they are second-class citizens. How about the guys who fought alongside the Caucasian brothers in World War II? The black guys. Coming home, expecting to get you know, the GI Bill, you know, as far as education and different things and housing and everything. And as people gathered in church, saying, as it is in heaven, so that it be on earth, the church was silent to say that the inequality that black soldiers face, as opposed to white soldiers, is a reality. As it is in heaven, so let it be on earth. The kingdom of God driving through the earth and calling all men to repentance and saying there's space and love for everyone sometimes just did not say nothing. And so you're thinking, well, I thought we were having church. Why are we doing history? See, and that's the point. We've become so inoculated with our churches that we don't know that we belong in the narrative of the society. That love, real love. That space, real space. Concern, real concern. Value, real value is not shown in the world. And when people can't turn to the church to speak up for the poor, to speak up you know, for the widow and the downtrodden and the people who are second-class citizens... Who's going to speak for him? The world doesn't do it. We've locked in our narrative to focus on Sunday sermons and Sunday activities, maybe Wednesday as well. And aside from that, that's the gospel. That's why we preach the gospel. We forget our communities that we are a part of, that we want to come in and to hear the gospel, that we won't walk with them, we won't struggle with them. You can't invite others to meet someone that you've never met. You can't invite others to meet someone that you've never met. We are the kingdom that has received the good news. The first to speak up, the first to say, let God's love prevail. And it's, it was so ironic that after this mayhem of, you know, election that we had, you had preachers taking pulpits to say on one hand, Church, let's pray and let's, you know, let's ask God for guidance because this political party has lost. And on the flip side of that, you had pulpit guys saying, well, let's rejoice today because God's party has won. And I'm thinking, God says his kingdom would never be broken, that the gates of hell would, would, would not prevail against it, that the church is here to drive God's initiative forward, and the church is passing the buck, the initiative to systems that are built by broken men. As it is in heaven, so let it be on earth, comes through the church. What have we received as the gospel? What have we given as personal testimony to the fullness of God 
in Christ. You know, when people realize what the gospel is, they will risk life and limb for the gospel. You cannot compartmentalize the person of Christ. Either you receive him fully or don't take him at all. Some of the most miserable people in churches are people who do not receive Christ fully. And that's not a way to live. I have two kids, and I refuse to let them think that that's the church. I minister to teens, and I refuse to let them think that that is the church. We are built for so much more. We are made for so much more. We have the Spirit of God who created the world with words. What are we doing with that power? So when faith is practiced through convenience, then it ceases to be faith. The gospel is a person. Jesus Christ formed in our very own persons. So be proud to be an American this morning. Be proud. But use your American privilege to preach the gospel, not to replace it. Not to replace it. The only adequate response is to give ourselves. If the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, guess what? No one is going to war. If the trumpet makes an uncertain sound and you are accustomed of hearing that rousing sound to say, hey, man at arms, if you don't hear that sound, you're not going to war. You can't make the gospel speak a language that's not its native language. So I don't want an American gospel. I don't want a world Christianity. I want Jesus. And if he's not enough, if he's not enough, then we have all people the most miserable. Because we are believing in a power that we don't access. Because if we believe it, if we believe it, we're going to walk it out. And so as we, we seek to wrap this thing up, speaking about the gospel, for God so loved the world that he gave himself. God gave his life through Christ. The blessed gospel is for all. The gospel is for all. Where sin has gone, where patriotism, nationalism, individualism, spiritual vandalism, prosperity gospel, gospel of safety, the gospel of comfort, where all those things have gone, must go his grace. Repentance, humility, relearning, forgiveness. Because the gospel is for all. The ancient gospel that God painted in our hearts with the blood of Christ is worth more than an institution, is worth more than a catechism, it's worth more than a form or a pattern. It is a living being, irreducible. And I'm so excited because the power is there, the imagery is there, and I know being a part of church like this, we want to get to that place where we appropriate Christ for ourselves so that we can live worthy of what is called the gospel. So have you obeyed the gospel? It's not a one-time thing. It is present, continuous. You don't find your identity in systems that man have built. You find your identity 
in the God of the universe who has unleashed you through the church to reconcile the world to him. So as we come to a crescendo this morning, may we all say, may we all sing, believing with our hearts and realizing with our experience that God is real and he has saved me and I have a testimony, I have a message because the gospel Gospel is for all, beginning with me.